chapter 1. You wonder where I was going with that. Jude chapter 1, obviously only being one chapter. I would like to read the first four verses and then have a word of prayer. We're going to take our text from verse 3, and I'll reiterate that when I go through it here in just a moment. It says in Jude, verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. So obviously Jude is the author of this book. That's obvious. Jude... Uh, more than likely is the half-brother of Jesus Christ, along with James. You can reference that with Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, so they did not believe on Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry, but I believe that after his resurrection, they came to know Christ, their older brother, half-brother, as their personal Savior, and then were instrumental in the New Testament church and obviously writing the book of Jude. So Mary was not a perpetual virgin. Uh, she had children with Joseph after Jesus Christ. And so that's Bible. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 3 when you have time, and it'll demonstrate that he had brothers and he had some sisters. And so Jude is the servant of Jesus Christ. He's a saved individual. Here it is, brother of James, another half-brother of Jesus Christ, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight that we should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus tonight, knowing that we can do nothing of eternal significance without your involvement. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide every word that I say, and Father, help these that are listening, listen carefully with spirit-tuned ears to hear what you would have them hear tonight. As Pastor preached on this morning, he that hath an ear, let him hear. May we truly hear spiritual things tonight. May we make good godly decisions. May the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified. May your church be strengthened. May your will be done tonight, not ours. So Father, glorify yourself in these next few minutes and we'll be very careful to give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise for we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to draw your attention again to verse 3 of Jude where it says, and exhort you you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which once was which was once delivered unto the saints. And he says there in verse 3 that it's needful. And Jude is telling these people, probably the same group of people that Peter wrote to, those that were scattered abroad because of the persecution of the of the New Testament church in the book of Acts. Jude is writing to these same people. And he's saying that it is necessary, it's needful 
it's, it's not an elective, but it is a requirement that I write this unto you as I'm led by the Holy Spirit of God. Jude is writing about the common salvation that all of us, I pray here tonight, enjoy. And in a crowd this big, there might be someone here that is uncertain of their salvation. They're uncertain where they will spend eternity. I've told you this before. If you're 90% certain that you're a child of God, you're 100% not, probably. You got to make sure you have to nail that down, that you know unequivocally, 100%, that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But uh, Jude is declaring that it was needful for him to uh, exhort, to build up, to encourage these individuals that he was writing to, to earnestly contend for the faith. And as you look at that phrase, earnestly contend, earnestly means to be eager about it, uh, to have a real desire, and the word contend means to stand agonizingly or seriously regarding this issue. It brings me back to a few years ago when I was at the hospital and an individual came in, at the, he's, he was the age of 35, and uh, to my chagrin, he was a lawyer. And uh, any time that a doctor takes care of a lawyer, uh, our little antenna go up uh, because we're obviously fearful about liability. But this is a 35-year-old young man. He came into the emergency room, and I happened to be on call that day for the emergency room. And he had a history of Crohn's disease, which is an inflammatory bowel disease, uh, autoimmune disease of the intestines, and he was on a medicine that caused him to be what we call immunocompromised. That means his immune system was knocked down because of the medicine. He came in and I saw him in the emergency room and he was covered with chicken pox. Never had chicken pox before, this was his first event. I've never seen anyone in my 27 years of medical practice have chicken pox like this individual had, all over his body. I would, during my physical exam, I looked in his mouth and into his throat, and the inside of his mouth and all down his throat, as far as I could see, were covered with the sores of chicken pox. Chicken pox is a virus. It's called varicella, just in case I say varicella instead of chicken pox, it's the same thing. He had what we call disseminated, widespread varicella or chicken pox. It was not only in his skin, it was not only in his mouth and in his throat, but it was in his blood system, and he was a very sick 35-year-old young man, otherwise healthy besides the Crohn's disease. I believe through my training in the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God, he allowed me to realize what was transpiring and I started the man, which I rarely ever do, but I started the man on intravenous acyclovir, which is an antiviral. Because I could have put this man on antibiotics, which are antibacterial, and it would not have helped that individual at all. This man was in the hospital for three months. He started out in the uh, step-down unit, and then he graduated to the intensive care unit because his body slowly shut down. It's called multi-system organ failure. His kidneys started to fail, and they shut down. 
his liver started to fail. His respiratory drive failed, and we had to put him on a breathing machine. We had to put him on dialysis. Roughly out of the three months that I had him, around week six, his mom and dad, dad being a lawyer as well, so this is glorious for a physician to deal with, came to me, and I remember vividly sitting down in the intensive care unit at a side table talking to the mom and dad because he was doing, he was doing poorly. I, and I had, I had thoughts that this 35-year-old is not going to make it. And mom and dad of the patient said they want to pull the plug. What do you do? I felt that that was inappropriate. You have to be careful, though, dealing with family. I felt that was inappropriate, and I said no. They battled me, and we went to the ethics board of the hospital, them wanting to do pull the plug, and at that time he would have passed away, and I defended my position, a 35-year-old, relatively healthy uh, individual outside of his underlying Crohn's disease, we need to give this guy a chance, an opportunity. Let stuff happen. Let me work on him a little bit more. It's only been 42 days. And for someone that sick, 42 days is really not that long. Well, the ethics board agreed with me. And over the next six weeks, the kidneys started to perk up. The liver started to come back. Eventually, we were able to take him off the breathing machine. And after three months, of contending or agonizingly taking care of him or very seriously, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I lived this for three months. He was transferred to a rehab center. About a year, year and a half later, I'm in my office and I get a phone call. My receptionist, they rarely do this. They say, there's someone on the phone that wants to talk to you. Most of the time, I tell him to take a message, but for some reason, I took the phone call, and he said his name, and I didn't remember the man's name, but it was this 35-year-old lawyer. And he said, Dr. Crabb, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for not giving up on me. And I said, I know what? I thank you for showing your appreciation, because rarely do you get that feedback. You get all the bad feedback, don't we? But you never get the nice feedback, the good feedback, the thank you cards that you help. But I contended for this man. I earnestly contended for this man's life and for his health, agonizingly, seriously, day in and day out for roughly three months, treated this man and lived this event in my life. And Jude is saying the same thing that we need to be agonizingly, we need to be serious, we need to contend for the faith that was once delivered unto us as children of God. That's how serious this is in regards to contending for the faith. When we contend for the faith, we stand for what we find in the Word of God. Every Christian, not only those that call themselves pastor or deacon or Sunday school teacher or leader in the church, but every Christian should be agonizingly serious about contending for the faith. Every one of us. Revelation chapter 3 verse 2 says, strengthen the things which remain. That we need to strengthen the things which, we, which remain. We need to take our stand for God, proclaim the truth, and 
cry out against error. Because the faith is important, my friends. The faith is important. And I want to share with you a few things that we need to do and how to contend for the faith tonight in my time that is left. Number one, we are to contend with conviction. We are to contend with conviction. We do not need a new faith. We do not need a new faith. And we do not need a new delivery of the faith. God in his infinite wisdom has decided that his avenue of getting the message of Jesus Christ out is the preaching of the gospel. We don't need, there's nothing wrong with drama, there's nothing wrong with music, there's nothing wrong with other things, but the primary purpose of the local church is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ locally and abroad as we support missionaries. And so we do not need a, a new faith, we do not need uh, a new delivery system of the faith, we need to contend for the faith that you and I received one day when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And think about it, we owe a great debt to those who have taken a stand for the truth so that you and I can know it. Think about the preachers. Uh, think about the Sunday school teachers that gave you the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember my Sunday school teacher as a 13-year-old young man, Mr. Edwards, who, he, he, for some reason, he was fixated on the seven churches of Asia. And so as a young teenager, one of the last things you really get into are the seven churches of Asia. I mean, that was me at that time. I didn't find it exciting. I didn't find it necessarily educational. Uh, but I think that it was a perpetual lesson that went on and on and on and on and on for years about the seven churches of Asia. But I remember every Sunday school lesson, even though it was on the seven churches of Asia, he somehow wove the gospel message into it. And that, along with my father, that was my pastor at that time, preaching the gospel message Sunday morning, Sunday night, and a children's church uh, lady that was teaching the young kids, presenting the gospel, that's how the Lord through the Holy Spirit, touched my heart, and I accepted Christ as my Savior as a 13-year-old on January 14, 1979. And my friends, I thank God for those people. I thank God for my father that preached the gospel. I thank God for Mr. Edwards, despite the lesson series that would give the gospel message, and for the lady in children's church that gave me the gospel message so that I could be saved. We need to thank God for those that gave us the gospel message and maybe as that lawyer a year, year and a half later called me and thanked me for saving his physical life, it may not be a bad idea to send a card or make a phone call to the one that led you to the Lord. We so soon forget, do we not? We remember what people do to us badly or negatively, but may we concentrate on what people have done for us that have, that has enhanced our spiritual walk, obviously starting with the salvation plan. And as they were faithful in giving us the message of common salvation in Jesus Christ, you and I need to be faithful in giving others that same message. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, don't turn there, but found in verses 8 through 13, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church, we also believe and therefore speak. So we speak it because we believe it. And we should be speaking the common faith, the common salvation, because we believe it. We must contend with Bible-based, Christ-honoring conviction. As Pastor said this morning, we get excited about a football game. I do. I get excited about baseball, especially in the playoffs and the World Series. I think it's exciting. But that has no eternal consequence. We should get excited about the things of God. You say, well, I'm not saved by feelings. I know that we're saved by faith, but feelings can be a byproduct of our faith in Christ. There was an independent Baptist church, and on the front row, a man died of a heart attack. And they called the paramedics to come get him. And before they took him out, they took out 10 other people because they thought they were already dead in an independent Baptist church. And they had to point out, no, this is the real dead person. There's nothing wrong with having fun in the house of God, obviously reverently. And we don't say amen and praise the Lord to draw attention to ourselves, uh, but it is just to honor and glorify God. When the preacher or the teacher says something that you agree with and the Spirit of God stirs your heart, there's nothing wrong with saying amen. There's nothing wrong with saying praise the Lord. There's nothing wrong with saying park there or whatever it might be. Praise the Lord. It's an encouragement not only to the speaker but also to other believers in Christ that are sitting around you because they probably agree with the same statement and they can rejoice in their spirit as you rejoice in your spirit. We need to contend for the faith with conviction about salvation. Please do not complicate salvation. It is truly the simple plan of salvation. God in his wisdom could have made it a PhD course to go through to get saved. But in his wisdom, he simplified it so that a young boy or girl by faith in Jesus Christ, can come to the saving knowledge. As Pastor said earlier, you don't need to have a lot of Bible knowledge to get saved. What you do need is the leadership of the Holy Spirit drawing you to the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, realizing you're a sinner, that you can't save yourself. There's a payment on sin. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, God incarnate in the flesh, paid for our sin on the cross when he was buried, when he rose again, and by faith believing in that, that's salvation. And we need to earnestly contend because there are parties out there that want to complicate salvation. They want to change salvation. They want to take away from Jesus Christ. They want to add to Jesus Christ. And we as a church body need to earnestly contend for the faith. Thus saith the word of God. This is how an individual comes to know Christ as Savior. And not only for salvation, but for baptism because Compromise is all over. People that have been sprinkled, people that have received the pouring on of water have not been biblically baptized. It is by immersion that an individual is baptized 
and we need to earnestly contend because there are forces out there that would love nothing more than for gospel uh, to compromise on salvation, compromise on baptism. Well, would, however, whoever uh, you were baptized by, that's good by us. No, it must be biblical baptism according to the word of God. The same goes with communion. We need to earnestly contend for the faith with communion. That's why here at Gospel, we have the pure fruit of the vine and unleavened bread. Because the, the, the pure fruit of the vine is a picture of the blood of Christ that had no fermentation, that had no sin. And his body, the unleavened bread, he had no sin because fermentation or leaven is a picture of sin in the Bible. And my Savior, Jesus Christ, had no sin. He did nothing wrong. He thought nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. He said nothing wrong. You say, you got to be kidding me. You believe someone can be perfect? My God is perfect. And Jesus Christ is my God. He's my Savior. And we need to earnestly contend for salvation, for baptism, for communion, and for the local church that God has ordained to be the ones that carry out the gospel message to this place. We need to be agonizingly serious about this stuff. This is real. That lawyer that uh, thankfully the Lord allowed me, uh, used me to save his physical life. I saved his physical life, but there's something more than saving a physical life, and that's saving the spiritual life through Jesus Christ. And so we need to contend with conviction, my friend, and say, thus saith the word of God. And as pastor so vividly says, you're going to have to shoot me to change me. And that should be all of our testimonies. That you, I am, I am, according to the word of God, this is what I believe. I am going to earnestly contend for the faith. I am going to agonizingly, seriously go about this because this is a matter of true life and death. It is a true matter of heaven or hell as serious as it gets. So not only are we to contend with conviction, because we need to be agonizingly serious about it, but we need to contend with compassion. Sometimes it's hard to do both, but we need to do both. We need to be serious, agonizingly serious, but as much as we are serious, as much as we are contending for the faith, we must have compassion, as Ephesians 4.15 tells us, speak the truth in love. People need to know. I believe people are looking for a people that know what they believe. And they want to see a people that know what they believe and have some type of authority in their life, which is the Word of God, the people that know what they believe, know why they believe it, but have that mixture amongst them of compassion. As Christians, we are not down on sinners. We're down on sin. Now, sometimes when we get up here and we teach and preach, whether it be Brother Moon, Pastor Chris, or other preachers that come our way, and they start naming off sin and things of that nature, it might seem that we're against the sinner, 
But we are not against the sinner. They need to come to know Christ as their Savior. They need to repent of their sin. We're not against the sinner, even though sometimes if you don't listen to everything that we say, it might come across that way. But we're not against the person. We're not against the sinner. We're against the sin that they're committing. The Lord Jesus came to redeem lost sinners. And by the way, you were one at one time too. As the Bible says, and such were some of you. That's me. I was a lost sinner on my way to hell, but thank God he saved me. Praise the Lord, he saved me and gave me his Holy Spirit and gave me assurance that one day I will be with him forever. May we live the kind of lives that are devoted to Christ and given in service to others so that people know that we genuinely love them. We don't compromise because of what they're doing. We don't promote what they're doing. We're against what they're doing, but we're not against them. We want them to know Christ as Savior. I told the Sunday school class this morning uh, that I joke around in my office about having kidney stones, and if someone comes in and they've had kidney stones and we can converse and talk about the wonderful experience that it was with all the pain and suffering that we go through, and I'll tell that person, I don't wish that on anybody. Well, maybe two or three people I wish it on. There's a couple, I think. Maybe they deserve a kidney stone. Maybe a nice, big, jagged kidney stone hung up in their ureter. I guess I have had those thoughts, but God forgive me. That's when I'm walking in the flesh, not in the spirit. But I can honestly tell you I've never, ever thought or said I wish two or three people that I knew would go to hell. I want no one to go to hell. I said this morning, not even the left of the left that is out there, I want no one to go to hell and taste of that damnation fire forever and forever and forever and ever. So please understand, and I think all of you know this tonight, that whether, again, it be Pastor, myself, Brother Moon, Chris, or others, we're not against the sinner, we're against the sin. We need to contend with conviction. We need to contend with compassion. These people are lost and on their way to hell, and we have the answer. Lastly, we need to contend continually. We need to contend continually. The book of Jude, as you study it out, speaks of our duty that we are to earnestly contend for the faith, but it also talks of our danger because it says in verse 4, the first part of verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares. People will try to infiltrate us as a body of believers and be deceptive. And these individuals, as you read verse 4, uh, and we won't go through it because it's not part of the, the message tonight, but these individuals are against Christ. Even though they once were numbered among God's people, as you study it out in Jude, as you study it out in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, they went out from us because they were not of us. These individuals come in unawares. They're very 
deceitful. They're very insidious. They come in in the guise of Christianity, but they come in desiring to change us, and we need to contend continually. There's not a point in time when we stop contending for the faith. It's got to be now and forever until the Lord takes us home. As Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's no discharge from this war. Your discharge is death. Nothing sooner than that. Not only are they crept in unawares, according to verse 4, but their condemnation is ordained, as it says, who were before of old, uh, before of old ordained to this condemnation. Uh, that's not that God has ordained them to condemnation, but they chose the lifestyle that they're living, and because they chose this ungodly lifestyle, as Jude calls it, their condemnation has been ordained by God. And they want to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness or to live after the lusts of the flesh. Well, I'm saved. I can do whatever I want. And I'm saved. I'm going to tell you this. I believe by the authority of the word of God, that is not a characteristic of a child of God. The last thing I want to do in our marriage is hurt my wife. I've told you I, I love my wife. I'm still infatuated with her and love her. I would, I would, the last thing I would want to do would be to hurt my wife. She's done wonderful things for me. But my God has done much more for me. And the last thing I would want to do as one of his children would be to dishonor him or to hurt him. And for those that name the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior, I think you know what I'm saying, that the last thing that any of us would want to do would be deliberately hurt our Savior, deliberately hurt our God. I want to honor Him. I want to glorify Him. I want to do His will. I want to, my life to make God look good. And that's why we need to contend continually. We must not let our guard down. Not only are they crept in unawares and their condemnation was foretold, but their conduct should be marked. Jude, in verse 4, gives us a vivid description of their conduct. And according to Romans chapter 16, verse 17, when people come in desirous to change the doctrines of the word of God, those individuals should be marked. We disassociate with those people because they're trying to change the teachings of the Word of God. That's why Jude says that this was need, needful. It wasn't, it was, it, it was something that must happen that we contend for the faith with conviction, and not only with conviction, but equally with compassion, and that we contend continually because every now and then. Uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing will try to get in and try to have us change what the Word of God says, and we need not be uh, in a timeout. We need not be on the sideline, but all of us, all of us need to be on the field of battle contending for the faith continually, never giving up. Because the devil, until he's thrown in the bottomless pit, 
and eventually into the lake of fire, he's not going to stop. And if we stop, if we let our guard down, tremendous damage can take place to our own lives, to our family, to our ministry, and to our church family. So we are called upon to take a stronger stand today because of the increasing wickedness in the world. And think about it. The generation where we stop contending for the faith will be the one we lose. When we stop contending for the faith, that generation will be lost. There is no place to stop. So Jude tells us in verse 3 that he exhorts us that ye should earnestly contend, agonizingly serious. As I took care of that young 35-year-old, agonizingly serious, took care of him day in and day out. I remember all the phone calls that I would receive when I wasn't even at the hospital, taking care of his blood count, taking care of his potassium, taking care of his kidney function, his liver function, his respirations, all that, agonizingly serious over three months. May we be as determined, agonizingly serious to contend for the faith that was given to us with conviction, with compassion, and that we would contend continually. And so I ask you tonight, as we talk about contending for the faith, are you contending agonizingly seriously or have you become casual? I've said this statement, I believe, before, whether it be in Sunday school or preaching behind this pulpit. When Christians become casual, casualties happen. When Christians become casual, casualties happen. And I, my friends, want to contend for the faith. I want to be agonizingly serious about what we're doing here with compassion because it's going to affect me. It's going to affect my family. And it's going to affect my church family. And so I pray tonight that we can recommit not only as individuals, but as a church family, that we are going to contend for the faith with conviction, with compassion, and that we will contend continually. We will not stop. The battle is ours. The victory is ours in Jesus Christ. So recommit tonight. You might be contending for the faith now. Recommit. I'm going to do it. I am not going to become casual in my Christian walk. I am not going to become casual when defending the faith. But I am going to contend with conviction, with compassion, and contend continually. I pray that all of us collectively together tonight as a church body can say that. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your blessed word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Father, on behalf of all of us here tonight that name you as our Savior, thank you for saving us. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for being our Savior. Father, if there be an individual here tonight, maybe a member of the church, maybe a longtime visitor, but they're not certain 
about their salvation. I pray that tonight during this time of invitation that they would seek us out and allow us to show them through the word of God how they, they, they can know for certain they're a child of God and have that assurance as they walk out of, that, of this place tonight. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you would work in your children's hearts tonight, that we would reaffirm in, in all of our hearts that we are going to contend for the faith, that we will shrug off the casualness that can creep into our lives and, and Father, become agonizingly serious about what we're doing here according to the word of God. So, Father, thank you again for this evening. Thank you again for your word. I pray now that you would help us all make decisions that would honor and glorify you and help us be very careful to give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you and God bless.